Every joke is a tiny revolution, said George Orwell, and each week comedian Tiff Stevenson interviews fellow comics such as Nish Kumar and Sarah Pascoe about the power of comedy to disrupt. Imagine a custard pie splatting into a human face forever. Find Tiny Revolutions wherever you find podcasts and at lushplayer.com. Slaves have been at the forefront of exciting, adrenaline-filled guitar music in the past few years, with the duo's thrilling gigs driving their sparse, smart and powerful off-kilter albums into the top ten. In this interview, the band's Laurie Vincent explains to John Robb how art and punk rock and making music on your own terms drives him and band buddy Isaac Holman. It's quite hard when there's two of you and like being fixed into this idea of what people want you to be and what you want to be and there's only two people to make sound so it's, quite, it's a challenge that we have to work with. Is that something right from the start of the band you wanted to you know, expand it out? When you start off and you're younger it's just the thrill of the noise. Yeah. But, but even that time were you thinking there must be something more we can do with this? Yeah, I, was, I really wanted to form a band and we, like, I spent all my life looking for band members and because Kent is quite a big place, we were all spread out, and you didn't actually meet that many people that were into like punk music. At the time, it was like indie landfill and the, the discovery of um, dub music. What is it called? I sound old now. <laughs> Not dub music. I mean like dubstep. Dubstep, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. So you had all these bedroom producers and all the kids that wanted to be in bands didn't necessarily want to be in punk bands. So it took me 18 years just to meet one like-minded person in Isaac, and then we, asked a load of people to join the band and everyone just said no. There was one dude who said, I'll play drums for you, but you'll be my second priority after my other band. So we were like, no. <laughs> and then I, we just had to work out a way to make it work with just two of us. And yeah, because so, it's always been fascinating about the band because it is an inside-out lineup, isn't it? The singing yeah. drummer and the, the person playing guitar, who ostensibly is normally a singer, doesn't sing. Yeah, it sort of it made this perfect harmony of... I think I was really desperate to have a bit of that front man limelight. I didn't want to just sit in the background. And Isaac being the front man behind the drum kit sort of like gave us this like harmony of this sort of balance between the two members. A lot of two pieces, and I don't like being referred to as, or like compared to two pieces, because I find, no offense, a lot of two pieces are just a singer songwriter with a drummer. Not always the case, but historically a lot of them are. Whereas we're sort of like a real cohesion of two songwriters merged together and it was just a blessing that it happened by accident. Yeah, and I, th- I imagine also the two-piece thing is frustrating because as soon as you came out, I was going, oh, a bit like White Stripes, but actually nothing like White Stripes at yeah. all. Just because there's two of you, it's a very lazy comparison. Yeah, and it actually made me go and research White Stripes because I wasn't that into them growing up, but mm. everyone thinks, oh, you must have done it because of that. And it's like, no, we did it because we didn't have any mates. Yeah. <laughs> and really, you're like a two-piece, four-piece band, aren't you? Yeah. It's just there wasn't anybody else to make up the numbers, was it? And it was really, the, the benefits that came along with it that we didn't think about were like, oh, I can fit everything in my car. So we could tour from the minute we started. We just put everything in the Renault Clio and would drive anywhere. As long as they gave us about 20 quid so we could put some petrol <laughs> yeah, in the car. Get it covered. Yeah. <laughs> Justice cut the hands off the thief. He was. St-
my first favourite punk band were The Clash. Um, and then I like I listened to Sex Pistols and the Ramones and I had all the like greatest hits that you'd get in the H and V bargain bins. Um, but the first band that I truly like picked up as my own were like The Clash. And then as I sort of went to school and the internet started getting better and you could do more research and I was networking, Crass became like the the band that I remember listening to all the time on the way to band practice when we first started were Crass. Those first two records though, like it all went a bit too white noise after those two records for me. But that sort of stripped back the drum Penny Rimbar's drumming so different to mm. what anyone else does. The military style. Yeah. The, 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 and I was it sort of made you realise you can make new sounds that don't you don't have to sound like everyone else does. So that was really inspiring. Um, Rancid are just one of those like bands that have always been with me, but they're less they're not it's not a band that me and Isaac meet in the middle on. Like he's he's got an education in he taught me all about bands like The Fall, and we like we both went into like all the garage punk medway scenes, like Billy Childish, and Gang of Four was a band we always listened to. So we were actually way more into that like late post-punk mm. stuff, and even stuff like Talking Heads. I think we were really really interested in the more wiry television, all that stuff. Yeah, the, the space and the sound. I've yeah, actually exactly. appealed if you're a two-piece because those bands. Everyone doesn't play it all the time, do they? So that's, no. you don't have a choice, do you? Because you haven't got a bass player. I'm trying to fake thing. it, how you mm. can make those sounds. Like that entertainment album by Gang of Four is like the mm. punk album I wish we could emulate. But mm. you, need a, you need two guitars or at least two, a bassist and a guitarist to do those. You definitely need the bass. Yeah. 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 To create the dynamic and the tension. But you do it another way, don't you? Do it in a very stripped down way. Yeah, I've tried to. The, the more as time, as time's progressed, I've started like working out. I can use my thumb to play bass notes, and then mm. so songs like even like songs like the lives I wish they had on our new album. That's like felt like a little bit of a step forward because it's that ping pong mm. dynamic. So what's it like coming to punk? Um, almost out of context, you're in a small town. It was Tunbridge Wells, I guess, at the time. Once it all... Isaac's Tunbridge Wells, and I was born in Maidstone, Maidstone and I yeah. lived in a village outside of Maidstone. Mm. So it was a. I, I remember listening to the Clash when I lived in Bearstead, just like really. Middle-class suburbia. Hmm. I mean, what, what is it like, you know, coming to it? You know, you're on your own. The only person to listen to it. It's 30 years, th probably 35 years later. What, what, what does it mean to you? Well, you know, we listen to those records. You, of course, you sense excitement on them and things, but the cultural context is so different, isn't it? Yeah, it was actually really confusing. I remember punk, the whole thing, not making sense because I, I was. I was musically aware at the time of Slipknot, System of a Down, Metallica, like that's being played on the radio or like on TV music channels, to me that's heavy. Punks have got the heavy aesthetic of the studs and the leather jackets, that's what I thought punk was. And you put on The Clash and you listen to London Calling or Lost in the Supermarket and I was like, this is really light. I was looking for some like heavy metal, I guess, and I couldn't work out how they linked together. So I had to learn and put like join the dots myself. So and what, how do you do that? How do you join the dots? Because I, it's, no one's helping you here, are they? I think it was the whole aesthetic was the first thing like that. I love the image and like you see people with the clash painted on the back of their leather jackets, like Paul Simonon smashing his bass. So when you're a kid and you want to be part of something, you've got that incentive to work harder towards it. Whereas now, 30 seconds, first song on Spotify, don't like it, mm. never going to listen to it again. Whereas I remember having to listen to albums three or four times and then start getting into it. So I f there was always just like a weird commitment to this thing. And because you watch it on TV and like bands like Nirvana was still always being played on TV and 
everyone that talks about those bands in documentaries, punk's always the root of it. It's like punk's pretty much like the the like the rhythm and blues of what I'm into. Like all heavy music, even though it does come from that from the beginning, punk's like the the nucleus that yeah, exploded it into puts into a different gear. Yeah, which even the little ripples of that you were still picking up decades later. And then you just the more you get into it, the more you realise well. The streets to me are punk because that's some guy from Birmingham who shouldn't really be a rapper <laughs> or make beats that good on a laptop just before the internet was even good. And he did, and it's incredible. And it's like, it's just that attitude of doing whatever you want. Mm. Which is very key, isn't it? Yeah. But, but, the, but the flip side of this coin is the frustration of people from that period nowadays coming like old, like old geezers on the telly saying, well, music nowadays, they're not like we were back in the punk days. No, yeah. And th this is something you've, that grates you, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah, it's, it's also the times have changed so much. Like, camera phones were just coming around when we were in school, so, like, anarchy can't be a thing because we're going to be filmed doing it. <laughs> like, your generation didn't have to worry about that as much. No mm. offence, like, but well, it's it is, true. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like... So you can't smash things up at gigs because you won't get away with it. You can't, and so that's where like you have to be conscious and being mindful is now than more interesting than being completely anarchic. And it's a di we come from different times as well. And back then it was quite a sweet spot. Everything just seemed nice. The internet was, it felt good, and like we're yeah middle class, but it's boring and life mm. was just monotonous and. The, the sort of everyone goes to university, like here's the like conveyor belt, primary school, do this, do that, after school activities, hmm. repeat, university, get a job. And like more than ever, like it feels like people are being prepared to just go off and not express themselves. You don't, I didn't have those amazing teachers that inspire you. So, and like arts council funding and schools are cutting all their arts times. You know, that was really, hmm. so, I think just going off and being in this band that could just make aggressive sounds was just, that's why it related to me. And so the older generations may go, you're not working class, you're not this, you're not that. But the truth is that music should be whatever it wants to be to anybody. And it should be inclusive. It shouldn't be, we're not, it's not a scene and it's not a style that tells anyone they can't be involved. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Joe well, Strummer went to private school. Yeah, well, even at the time, it's a lot more middle class than everyone was um, making out. Because you still yeah. had to have equipment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot of people, you read the biographies and stuff, they did just steal it or whatever, like the Steve Jones mm. stolen guitar or whatever. But yeah, they, to, to be in, like, Gang of Four were called, were called like the art school punk mm. band, weren't they? It's just, all, those, all that judgment and prejudice is where what should be left out of punk music, basically. Yeah, because quite often the, the older commentators will say bands of your generation don't sing about anything, they have no content, it's not angry, which is... Ridiculous, they're not, been, they're not listening, are they? No, like, it's just, we've been around so many bands and like so many waves already, like, that have come out since we were, we've started and it's constant. Whether it's getting a spotlight shone on it or not, there are bands there and they're all singing about same things but different times. Yeah, because when you came out, it was almost like you were breaking the mould. One of like, those kind of sort of scene of bands not, not punk bands, because I hate you having to use that word generationally, because it's not fair on those young no. bands, is it? But bands who were kind of tearing the fabric, Fat White Family, there was you. Um, yeah, you had Fat White Family, The Amazing Snakeheads, mm. Sleaford Mods, um, The Witches, even Drenge, it was a bit more bluesy, but Drenge were like rock and roll. Um, 
There was a band called Zulu who split up before they even got to where they should have been. Um, it was like, if anything, there were more bat punk bands then doing those gigs than there are now. It's just that now the ones that are around are in the spotlight because it's taken that long for everyone mm. to catch up. Yeah, because it puts you in a curious position of not almost being a veteran already. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Like yeah. people, um, we had this band called Hotel Lux support us and they, uh, they asked us to play Feed the Manta Ray live because it hadn't been in the set for ages and they came into my dressing room and they were like, that was well nostalgic. And I was like, fucking hell, I'm only, that was like, I'm only like 26. What are you saying nostalgic for? Yeah. And yeah, the, the veterans of our, it's not, it's not a nice feeling. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a loose coalition, isn't it? But you all know each other. Is there a sense that something's happening out there? Things are changing, aren't they? Yeah. The music scene. Well, it's, it's amazing to see a band like Idols completely buck the formula. Like, getting selling that many records without getting huge mainstream radio support. Like, Six Music were really behind it. Um, but it, it got played on Radio 1, but it was like different. It was, a, it was a cult uprising. It was people going, this is what we need. And it was the album that this time needs to... It was like taking a, it was like taking a photograph, but in sound of what's going on right now. Mm. And they just hit the nail like on the head. And I think it, it gives you faith that when things like that happen, the music industry have to pay attention. And then they've got nominated for a Brit Award and it's like, Every step a band like any of us makes, it just sort of is like a wave that we all bring everyone. Mm. And that's the exciting thing. Is there a sense of that then? I mean, when you speak to idols, you, you it's, it's kind of like there's, there's a not a master plan, but a, a vague like, idea. Who, who else can we get onto this bus? Yeah, yeah, always. And I think they've said some really complimentary stuff to me about like how we helped open up the door a little bit for them. And I've said before, like. Bands like Royal Blood helped open the door for us because they pushed rock music back into the back into the forefront. And so it's just sort of, I think it's good to be open and acknowledge that we're helping each other rather than trying to act cool. I'm mm. not, I think that's the whole, that's another, going back to that word, but like that's the whole ethos of punk, just like, just being open and just loving. Like I think that's the modern way forward, not mm. to be, well, see, the other thing about punk is it's, it's not, it's a redefinition, isn't it? You bring yeah. your own generation's ideas in, don't you? Because your generation grew up with completely different things that we grew up with. There's different TV programmes, you had computer games. There's all yeah. different things there which we didn't have. So all that mashes in and it, it does change the, the thing, doesn't it? Yeah, it almost, I almost feel like in some ways it's, it's made it even more... Because it's easier to go and make music. There's like more access to it because we live in the computer age, but then there's so many more distractions, it almost means that you have to, to like push through even harder to even get a band off the ground because trying to get people off of their computer games is one of the hardest <laughs> things to do. Like, mm. I still think now like, I'm glad that I didn't get too sucked in by computer games because 
uh, you don't really gain anything. Like they're fun, but uh, they have a limit to what yeah, you can achieve. Yeah, sore thumbs. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's twenty four hours gone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So is that because of music? Because you start to find these records, and you thought there's a, there's a different way of doing things here. Yeah, and I, my because I think you get people that approach being in bands differently. There's quite a lot of people that just fell in love with records. I, I find that a lot when I, re I read loads of musicians' autobiographies. I'm fascinated by anyone that's been there, done it. And like a lot of people are just, they, they are obsessed with record collections. But then you have people like Johnny Marr and in his book, he was just obsessed with the guitar. He like saw a guitar when he was like two or three in a window and it was a toy guitar and he was just fixated. And I was like that. For me, it was less about anything other than playing the guitar at the beginning. I just, I don't know why, I was just like, it was like a magnet. It was just like, I need to play that. And I don't know, I can't really work out what, how or why, because I don't come from a musical background, don't have musical parents or anything, so. Is it because an art thing, because you do a lot of painting now? I mean, is it the aesthetic, the music course is central and important, mm. but it's all the other things. Like basically, you've got like an art, an artistic soul, really. Yeah, and I think, Every single month at the moment, I feel like I'm getting my head around it more and more, how it's about being a creative individual and your output doesn't stop when you release a record. It, like, it's the way you hold yourself when you meet new people. It's the way that you dress when you're walking down the street. Put on nice, I put on my nice clothes when I'm just hanging out at home. I don't save them for best because <laughs> I feel like you buy these things and you should like... You basically, it's all about... It's, and I think listening to the Idols record has helped me a lot over the past year get my head around it. But it really is about like trying to learn to like love yourself, and everything you do is creative, mm. like how you make your cup of tea. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's finding joy in all those little things, and then it all feeds back into music and playing instruments and. So when you mentioned that's from the Idols record, I mean, what did you take from their record that's changed that mindset? Just, just his, his raw lyrical delivery, and. I think the lyrics were the, the biggest thing that's had an impact on me. Um, just love yourself, that song where he's just like, love yourself. And mm. it's, I think people can relate so much because of the way they are. Like you can tell they've been there, they've lived that. And it's just so honest and raw. And also just watching a band come through and smash it that you feel, it's like a pride that our community is being <laughs> risen up, I guess. Is there not any sense of rivalry? Because I know a lot of bands, they always regret it. They don't like it when another band that was there overtakes them and things. I, mean, I, I think if you're completely honest, sometimes you go, oh, they get to do that, we want to do that. But what you I've... You don't resent them doing it. No, yeah. what I've learned is you just wait and you get your turn. I think that happens a lot. Like, we did Jules Holland and then they'll get to do Jules Holland. And, like, really what you learn is that everyone's on their own path and you can't worry about what everyone else is doing. The quicker you get to realising that, the quicker you'll progress forwards. Mm. So of course there are days when you're sat there and you watch another great band and like, we've never done a KEXP session. Mm. And I'm like, oh God, I really want to do one of them one day. But that's got nothing to do with them doing it. It's just, mm. I want to do it. Yeah, yeah. So you've just got to keep propelling yourself forward to get there yourself. Love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. I, I hated music at school, like my music teachers were useless. 
useless. Um, <laughs> just like iron, iron out any sort of creativity you did have and trying to like formalize your C major scales and all that stuff. So I found my home was in the art department um, and I just love, art teachers always had such a good spirit about them and encouragement. So I've always had like music and art I think the need to show off led me to music quicker because it's an <laughs> yeah, instant, instant gratification. Yeah. <laughs> but art is something that I've always kept my hand in, whether it's like learning how to use Photoshop so I can put together the first ever slave CDs. I've always, where, even though I didn't call myself an artist at the time, I've always been doing art without realising it. Like even just like hand drawing track listings and mm. making merch designs. And it's something as I've got older, I've felt more comfortable just being like, yeah, I paint and putting on exhibitions and... So, so the art would initially manifest itself in the rock stage, but also in the way you played play the music as well. Yeah, it's, I think it's like all interlinked because like yeah. aesthetic sort of... It's hard, it's hard to like see your own aesthetic. Other people viewing your aesthetic get what you... Like think of it as a thing, but when you're doing it, it's hard to uh, always see it as one unified idea. Like I'll draw one design and I'm like, oh, that doesn't look like my music sounds, but in turn it does because I've made both. Yeah, I mean, I can see those links. I mean, the, the, the paints I saw, the, 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 there's a lot of colours. Yeah. Uh, they're quite bold, aren't they? And you can see the influence of, like, graffiti art, like mm. uh, Basquiat and that. You know, that very primal, primitive kind of thing. But it's, it's primal, primitive doesn't mean simple, does it? So, no, it's, it's all about... It's, all, it's also really influenced by Raymond Pettibon, mm. like, so oh, the hardcore fantastic. scene yeah. and all of his designs he did for people. And it's, it's sort of... The hardest thing with art is, like, you can learn to paint really, really well. Some people are better at it naturally than others, but there is like technique there. But what, the, what are you trying to give off by showing people you can paint something perfectly? Is that worth it for you? Or would you rather try and like impact a bold message with something that might look more simple? So that was like something that's taken me years to feel comfortable with. Oh, to with. find simplicity. Yeah, just like, like playing, not playing a guitar yeah. solo, just playing a chord. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Guitar solos will only please this amount of people, but a mm. good chord progression, like, the world mm. loves. Or just one, one switch yeah. is enough, isn't it? So you apply that to art as well and paint it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I just, like, it always feels... It always just hits a chord for me when it's more simple and bold and in your face. So what, what do you take for someone like Pettibone, then? Just... I love how he can design the Bars logo. And isn't that the greatest logo ever invented? It's, it's like, yeah. it's unbelievable. It's, Prison bars and a flag. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty much like on par with like the campaign for nuclear disarmament. It's mm. that iconic within our world. And then he also can go to and like sort of illustrate sort of books, book designs and like illustrative like pictures of like baseball players that are drawn with like really detailed ink drawings. Mm. But then also Sonic Youth's famous T-shirt. Just how many iconic images he put out from his style. Every black flag colour is great. And again, they're pr very primal colours on those. Yeah, they? just simple to the point. And it's mm. all about space. Like, I guess everything I ended up doing has been about space, whether it's just two players in the band or a, a canvas. It's like giving things room to breathe. The hardest trick to learn. If, in every band, it's not what you put in, it's what you take out, isn't it? Yeah. yeah but, but again, it was easier for you because there's only two of you, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nobody cluttering it all up. <laughs> So when you look back at your, your early music now, do you see do you see that's almost the way that you're painting? You know, there's yeah, it is primary colours, isn't it? There is space. Yeah, you're like you're painting with like a few chords and trying to fill the gaps and yeah, it's simple, but at the time you don't realise you're doing it. Mm. 
And, and you're actually also making your own music now as well, aren't you? Yeah, I've, I've started writing a few demos and stuff, like just enjoying, like, I feel like I've discovered it again, just playing playing guitar again, because I don't, I've never like written songs for myself, so it's just a little bedroom project I've set for myself at the mm. moment, just go and write some songs. I always say, I always, I feel like I've always been a guy to preach that, oh, you can start a band. So it's like, well, I should prove to myself that I can write a full song. Mm. <laughs> So this, I mean, it's, yeah, it's solo, but it's not. Eventually, won't be a whole solo thing. You would get other people playing it, or, or is it? Would it be you be playing everything and layering it up? I think, I think, like if I would call it a band, yeah. I don't know that. It's very early days. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. to think about. <laughs> and is this a way of um, maybe trying to do stuff that you, people don't expect you to do in Slays? Because yes, you're changing what Slays do, but, but there's expectations of a style there, isn't there? Exactly. So if I make my music, will always, it will have to serve a different purpose, and it's more to be able to like reflect personally on myself rather than like a group thing. So it would all, it would all have to be written by me and yeah. So what, what do you find you make music yourself? What, are the, what, what is the difference? You know, when, you, when it's just you on your own, you know, what, what the different personality of the music and that? I think it's the confidence aspect of it. To be able to actually sit there and take yourself seriously enough to hit record is really hard. Mm. Whereas when you're with someone else that you know likes the way you play guitar, and I like the way Isaac sings lyrics, it's really easy to egg each other on and build confidence. But it's taken me, I mean, the, I was thinking the last time I finished writing a song was when I was 16. So it's taken me like 10 years to get back that confidence to just go record, demo. Because mm. I'd find that I'd play these ideas to my girlfriend and she'd be like, I don't get it. And then I'd record it. Or I'd be like, do you like this lyric? And she's like, I'm not sure, you're singing it out of tune. And then you record it and you make it sound polished. And she goes, oh yeah, I love this, but people can't <laughs> yeah. see your vision. So. Well, no, no one knows where it's going. Exactly. They only have what's in front of them, don't they? But That's I guess the if, thing I guess, I've learned. I guess when you work with Isaac, he can see where it's going to go. Yeah, and we can yeah. see it in each other. Like, I'll be mm. like, That's a good idea, keep following that. But what I'm hoping as well is that this experiment will also lead me to write better slave songs because I've explored myself more. Mm. He said, brother, are you satisfied? The way that you've been living your life I know it's predictable and somewhat cliche But if you want to get your point across these days You've got to be real, real, real straight Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied, brother? Are you satisfied? 90% of our songs start with me playing a riff that I've been working on and then Isaac will go, I like that. And then he'll go, he'll start singing over it or he'll join in in sound check or something. We've tried loads of methods in the past, like I've demoed like backing tracks and so for him to write over, but nothing ever happens as easily as it does when it's just us two picking up our instruments in a room. Mm. Yeah, because it's, it's not much fun learning other people's parts, is it? No, yeah. and there's something, it's just the, it's the rawness of like two of you just playing instantly mm. that I think that's what's magic about our band and we shouldn't lose that. Did you ever write any lyrics at all? I, I shout ideas out, so like, I'll, I'll like do chorus lines or something, or mm. he'll, be, he'll be like, I need one word to go with this. Or I'll, I'll say something like, I think this is, like, are you satisfied? That phrase just kept going round in my head. So I was like, I think this could be a song, are mm. you satisfied? And then he'll pad the whole song around this one phrase that I've had. So he's more the finisher and you're the instigator. Yeah. I mean, in a very loose kind of way. Yeah, I'm like yeah. sort of take a chip and like, that's an idea and he can build it out. 
I mean, does he ever play like a proper drum kit as well? He can't. He can't, so he's just... Wow. He learned to play like the first day we did a band practice. It's, it's, it's an amazingly powerful sound for somebody just hitting hardly anything, you know, and, and, he's, and yeah, singing, and, and jumping in the crowd. It is crazy. It's like, <laughs> I really love it because it's so iconic as well. Like, he's really, he's almost, I feel like we've both become like cartoon characters, and I feel that... Like all the best bands are yeah, cartoons, aren't they? Being a cartoon yeah. character is like the, like biggest sort of thing you can get of recognition of like people seeing what you do and like yeah he's just like this mad ape like drummer that <laughs> yeah. is crazy the, the, the force and energy he expels is insane like we mm. used to do gigs and like small venues the PAs are always quite small so every single band would sound check and they're like can you turn me up can you turn me up and it starts feeding back and he'd have to be turned down because his voice is so naturally loud so i've learned so much from watching him in the studio how he goes about delivering vocals and stuff and it's mm. been so useful just are you quite different personalities though yeah i I've, i always sort of say that we walk off stage and we flip roles mm. he sort of like I, the isaac all the best performers are are performers and isaac performs and the stage is like where he feels most comfortable Whereas I'm sort of like better in real life. It's mm. taken me a long time to find my role on stage. Whereas he was just born to walk on stage. Whereas I feel more comfortable. Like I love the sort of whole dynamics and the the way bands work and thinking about the the creative side of it and writing music and that whole everything before it gets to the live stage. I've learned is my favourite bit. Playing live is an unbelievable buzz. But at the end of a two-month tour, every day does start feeling quite similar. Whereas mm. when you're doing the other bits, sort of the organising and the, what should be our album cover, what it's different all the time. So you've kept control of the creative mm. process. Oh, Everything's cool. from. Yeah. We're really fortunate with our deal that like it, the whole, every single part has got creative sign-off. So mm. it's only if we're being really lazy, and it's only happened like once. We've been, oh, we don't know what to do for a video, and they brought. A, they've put loads of ideas to us and that's the only time we've ever scrapped the video. They made it and we were like, this sucks. So we ha basically, you have to be in control of all your creative, otherwise your band, if you don't care about what your band's creative is, you don't care about your band. Every little detail, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, e even like scratching the run-out grooves on the vinyl, yeah. everything has to be covered. No it? one, like, <clears throat> no one gets there by accident. That's what I've learned from my time in being in a band. Like, if you're hoping to just get discovered on YouTube and be like lifted into some higher power, that will never happen. Like mm. those people, people are you. 99% of the time, people are there because they've worked really fucking hard and they still work really hard mm. every day to maintain it. Yeah, because it wasn't even like you came out at a time where it was easy to make of that kind of music. You were kind of against the tide, weren't you? It's still it's still weird now, like because like when you compare yourself to other bands, are sort of contemporaries of people like Wolf Alice and the bands that we came out at the same time of and then you're sort of watching what each other do and the fact we both get played on Radio 1 and you sort of compare and then you're like, wait a second, they're like an indie pop guitar band. We're, we're still like quite a heavy mm. left field weird band for people to get their head round. And I, have to, I always have to pinch myself like, oh yeah, we do get mainstream attention. And that's weird. <laughs> it is weird. I, I think it's quite amazing how far you've got, really. Mm. Yeah, but you do... You're also, one thing we haven't mentioned is that you do write really good pop songs. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, is that, is that something you're conscious of when you're doing it? I mean, do you think in terms... You talk about... You like Blur, don't you, and Damon Albert? Yeah, Blur... Who's, who's a brilliant pop songwriter? Blur are, like, 
So after my punk obsession, Blur became my new obsession. So like it seeped into me really deeply and I accidentally rip off um, Graham Coxon all the time. But would you, because he's coming from the same place as guitar style, though. Yeah. Because he's coming out of hardcore and Fugazi all and all the that, same influences yeah. and similar backgrounds as well, like have fed into like who we are. Um, yeah, so writing a pop song is that it's like what, like you said, what you leave out is often mm. more powerful. So there's a misunderstanding with our band sometimes that they think the pop songs are, aren't punk, but they're subversive pop songs. Mm. Songs like Feed the Manta Ray have taken me ages to get my head round and Where's Your Car Debbie? And they're clever because they're stupid. And then <laughs> for, for, for people to be singing those songs, it's like funny. And it's like Rock Lobster by the B-52s. Like to me, they're a punk band, but at the time people didn't understand the B-52s. Not being understood is actually like, a blessing. Mm. Yeah, sometimes it's good, isn't it? It's, it's a smoke screen and it's, yeah. it causes confusion as well. And it means it? that the people that get you hold you even closer to their hearts, I think. Mm. Mm. And also, another, one of the key things about punk, it was pop music. They, yeah. They, they, these bands would be on top of the pops. They were having hits, weren't they? Well, I wish they still did top of the pops. Yeah, <laughs> but no, nobody watching now, would no. they? Because everything's spread out all over the internet, isn't it? <laughs> it, it only worked there because there's nothing else to do. That's one of, that is the thing, like, all that history of music feels like it's slowly changing. It's not gone, it's just different, but they're those things that you wish still existed. But I think you're made for these times and not those yeah. times. I don't think... it would. Of course it would have worked on the top of the pops era. Yes, it, the band would have worked there, but... Because it's a very multi-dimensional band now and you, you're doing the art and you're changing the music and you're doing the solo things. You, I don't think you would be able to do that 30 years ago. No. Everybody's, every, you know, if you were playing guitar in a band, that's what you did. Yeah. yeah, that is true. When you think about those records as well, the effort that went into making them, because especially bands like New Order who like pioneered that electric sound and it was analogue. That blows my mind. Like now, you sit there at a laptop for a few minutes yeah, on your phone. Whereas, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas they were like the patience that they had, like can't be underestimated. <laughs> yeah, but you can only live in the times you're, you're exactly. in. Exactly, and use what's there, isn't it? That's the most important thing as well. Like I think a lot of the, the people that want those old times just need to sort of like learn that as well. Mm. This is new times. You can't completely. Yeah. I mean, I was reading an interesting interview Idols the other day, and they said they're actually fed up with the, even the term punk. Yeah, drives them we out. tried to change it. We tried to call ourselves primal, but I do think things like Melody Maker and Enemy had such power to influence people that that's something that isn't as prevalent in our guitar band society now. There's not one outlet that everyone just, because there are so many outlets, people can find their own voice. People use their own voice more. Um, so to, to coin a term is much harder, I think, unless mm. it's like completely new. Because what we're doing isn't reinventing the wheel, they don't want a new name for it. Whereas it, I think back then, maybe it would have had a different name. I think it is and it isn't, because it, it's definitely, yes, you can see where it came from, but it's actually ended up in a different place. Yeah. I mean, even, even the lineup, because it is inside out, is, mm. is something that's quite revolutionary, isn't it? Yeah, and bands like Idols are almost more like, they say it, they're more influenced by like American post-punk and stuff like mm. it's almost that it's, it's like bordering that hardcore world and so it is completely different sounding music it's like what what punk actually is is like like you said pop like the clash and the sex pistols they're like pop tunes mm. and, and great and brilliant yeah. etc but the, the baggage it brings to bands 40 years later i can understand people in idols again same thing those older guys saying well that's not punk and they go well we didn't say we were punk exactly <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the same thing we had it's mm. a Pigeonholing yourself is like the kiss of death because mm. it, it keeps you in one world and almost 
the word punk can be like a detriment because the people that didn't like the punk the first time round, they won't even bother listening to you if it goes punk band. Mm. I mean, yeah, I've seen it sort of limit a lot of bands. We had Steve Duggan before, we were interviewing him, and I always think about Buzzcocks, punk made them big, but they could have got a lot bigger if they weren't uh, labelled being punk, you know? Yeah, because yeah. they're, they're pop tunes. Like when you, when, One of the greatest pop bands ever. Yeah, you know? unbelievable songs, it's just that they played them on guitar. Mm. And the idea of being a pop band that carries a message, I think, is interesting, really. Yeah, because you, you get the ears of the whole world. That's why I think, especially with our last album, writing hooks and melodies is a tool to like, lure people in. Mm. It's like, oh, if you listen to the singles, and then, oh yeah, you've got the album, what about this? But you also like hooks and melodies. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, even Crass had really great yeah. pop songs, yeah. It's all, it's all in there, it's the bits you remember. The hook and the melody is just the bit that like, will get stuck in your head. Mm. And I love songs that do that to you, ones that annoy you because they get stuck in your head. <laughs> I mean, do you work on the melodies together? So, you, you, you know, you've got a song, you've got a guitar riff, the drums go on it, there's scraps, bits of lyrics, and then you think, okay, so how are we going to get the hook in this? I mean, is that something you graft out? Or is it just something that just sort of appears? Different songs like have different, like it always happens differently, but um, Chokehold was one song that, as soon as I worked out the guitar part to that, I was like, this has got to be like catchy. And um, that just took ages. We just had it in the studio and Isaac would get his like verses on it. And then I came up with the backing vocal and he was like, oh, you've got to use a word. And I was like, why does there have to be words? I was like, why don't I just go ah, 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 ah. And then <laughs> it took us ages to feel comfortable doing that. And yeah, it's just, I think, the more we've tried to include hooks, the harder it is to do, and the more you appreciate that it is hard. You have to keep going back to it. Whereas the first time we wrote music, it would be like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, done. <laughs> like, and you would just, and that was fun as well. It's like the, but it's the challenge. Like with this record, we wanted to challenge ourselves to do something bigger and make a sound that sounds bigger. Mm, and it's hard. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's, it's, it's more of a, a like a craft now in a way. Yeah, yeah. You can learn about songwriting. You can't have the raw talent, but you can learn how songs mm. are written. Yeah, but not necessarily having. You have to have a middle bit or something. No, but yeah. There's other little bits at work, isn't there? And there are there are like certain sounds that are like more appealing to everyone and all that. There is a science behind it as well. So how much impact did sort of hip-hop culture have on you? Because you kind of grew up in that kind of period as well. I mean, maybe not even listen to hip-hop, but the idea of how you can really deconstruct music or even style-wise as well. Yeah, for me, it was mainly like the, the big stars. So like Eminem and I remember I was, I loved that whole Eminem, 50 Cent, Obi Trice, like that whole record la label, Shady Aftermath. And then as I got older, it was like going backwards and finding people like Biggie um, and Wu-Tang Clan and just going into it. But I never really noticed that it had a direct effect on the sound I wanted to make. I just sort of, again, obsessed with the guitar. When I started playing the guitar, this is the sound that came out. So as much as I, want, I would want it to sound like this band or that band, it just was quite, it all sort of poured hmm. through me. But I think with hip hop and stuff, it's also the image. Like I really like a lot of the way they present themselves. And then when you discover bands like Beastie Boys and you're like, well, they're, they're just punk kids mm. and like they're, 
their whole act is is mimic is like mocking, joking. It's like we can't be rappers. And then you see how freeing that is that they just have fun. And it always comes back to that fun word, like Isaac said to me at the beginning, as soon as it stops being fun, that's when we don't do it anymore. Is it still fun now? Yeah. It's yeah. just it's it's like there are hard times because it becomes like work. But the fun times are like, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Mm. So the fun times still creating, being together. Getting to travel the world. Yeah, yeah. Going to crazy places that you never thought you'd go. And realising that everyone's just humans and mm. you learn that by travelling. People just want to get in a room and jump up and down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they can connect through sound. Sometimes they might not even know what you're saying, but it's the energy that people relate to. Do you think it's harder, you know, in a two-piece, the dynamics, is, is that a harder thing to maintain all the time? I mean, if you fall out in a two-piece, there's nowhere to go, is there? Yeah, you definitely yeah. have that, but you also have that consciousness about the two other members. I think, I can't really speak from experience because I haven't been in, like, a five-piece, mm. but I do notice bigger bands, you always get those, like, members that f are wandering around on their own in the venue or they might get left out, whereas me and Isaac are, like, brothers. We're, like, a unit. Mm. We don't exist without one another. It's quite a beautiful synergy of just ideas. There's no... He, like, you, just knowing that you can't replace each other brings this special bond, and so I think we respect each other because of that. Would you be friends anyway if you were still in the band? Cool. We would have met each other. Mm. I don't. We'd definitely not be as close as we are now because me and Isaac are both those kind of individuals that, unless it relates to what we're doing in our lives, we're not very good at keeping in touch with everyone. Mm. Probably like classic bloke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd be your mate, <laughs> but about every two years you see him yeah. and go, how's it going? And nothing's changed, <laughs> yeah. but you're like, you haven't spoken to him for years. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think we'd be anywhere near as close as we are now. And when we're not on the road or writing, we'll, we'll spend months apart. I haven't mm. seen him in two months, but I think that's really healthy as well. It's a... Uh, you can't be in each other's pockets too much because oh, you God spend knows. life on the road. It's so intense being on the road, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing left to say after a tour, is there? No, we just sit <laughs> in silence a lot of the time. That is, that is when you find your perfect partners, when you can sit in silence. Without stressing about it. Yeah. Yeah, you don't feel like you have to entertain each other all the time. Not at all. We've actually yeah. learnt this whole, like, non-argument technique. We just don't... If it, ever, if it ever feels like it's about to boil over, we usually just stop talking to each other. Yeah. And then in an hour, in a day, in a couple of days... Forgotten. Harmony. Yeah. I think headphones save rock and roll. Definitely. Especially <laughs> yeah. in splitter vans. <laughs> There's not much space to go, is there? Yeah. You've been listening to the John Robb Tapes with me, John Robb. Brought to you by Lush and Louder Than War and produced by Sophie Porter. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and share. Thanks for listening.